ding, 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 ding. Born on this day in 1945, Kim Carnes. Listen to those hand claps, aren't they great? Uh, US uh, singer from uh, Los Angeles. Betty Davis Eyes, as you heard there, won the Grammy Award for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. The single became the biggest hit of the entire year for 1981, second only to the great Olivia Newton-John song, Physical, as the biggest hit of the 1980s in the US. Isn't it amazing? That those two songs are the biggest hit of the 80s in the US. I can't believe that. Surely not. Bigger than Michael Jackson or Prince. Uh, physical. Yeah, I let can me remember. Hear, let me hear your body talk. I can remember our standard four teacher holding the record, putting the record of living in John in a, in a leg warmers and a leotard. Oh, <laughs> jazz, was it jazz size? Yeah, oh, yeah jazz I good thought stuff. you would play Walking on the Moon today. Why? Because it is uh, the anniversary of the moon landing. Ah. You got me. You got me. <laughs> you are not predictable, so that's yeah. good. You, 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 you've hit me with one of those Simon Pound arrows uh, between the eyes. The do, you, do you want me to tell you what the aubergine emoji is? Well, uh, actually, look, uh, I, just want to be, I just want to be honest with you. Uh, we've had a bit of response. Emoji becoming commonplace and overused because people have forgotten, never knew how to write. I'm with the journalist. Texts are writing. Uh, I haven't got time to Google the world. And one thing I haven't Googled is what is an emoji? What's an aubergine? It's an aubergine, surely. It's a representation of the penis. Yeah. And the government has actually done a documentary featuring a giant aubergine uh, to teach kids about porn, about what they're seeing and what they, you know, that it's not equation to real sex and it's a fantastic project that they've embarked on. And if you search it up last year, we did a big... Podcast about it. It's really interesting. So if I uh, want to uh, text my wife to say, would you like slow-cooked eggplant tonight, as I do? You might get the wrong message. Okay. Yeah, depending <laughs> you if might, might get a very good if, welcome. Uh, depending right. if your wife is on your kind of level with, with emojis. Isn't that such an odd <laughs> thing? Isn't that such an odd thing to uh, as representation? Isn't, aren't emojis an odd right. thing? Right. Okay. Thanks for, uh, thanks for telling me. 24 to 5, the panel are as a national. I've just bought an EV for the family car. We'll be putting solar on the roof soon, and my business is about to expand by several staff. So we are budgeting for all new fleet vehicles to be electric vehicles. Uh, keep those uh, your wonderful feedback this afternoon coming. Kia ora. Uh, Wallace Chapman in for the panel. Simon Pound, Alexa Russell uh, with me today. Students, you can win a two and a half grand note. We're going to be talking about that very soon. This first new research showing uh, Pacific workers are earning up to 24% less than their Pākehā counterparts. For every dollar a Pākehā man earns, a Pākehā woman gets 94 cents, a Pacifica man 76 cents, and a Pacifica woman 73 cents. The Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner wants to make employers record ethnic pay rates in the same way gender pay rates are now monitored. The work was conducted by AUT's New Zealand Work Research Institute, the NZWRI, and the director is Gao Pacheco, and who's also the professor of economics at AUT. Professor Pacheco, welcome to the panel. Thank you very much for having me. A 24% gap, very significant. Did this come as a surprise to you? I think the main thing with this is understanding the size and getting some numbers behind it so that uh, people know what's happening in the labor market and have a clear understanding. I think a lot of people will be surprised by the numbers. 
but I think it's really just really useful to have that quantification there. Yes. Um, can you explain a little bit more, Gail, about the research? Well, the main way we measure the gap is we look at usual hourly earnings uh, and we compare the earnings between different ethnic groups. For this particular research, we compared Maori, Pacific and Asians with Europeans. And what we do with this uh, data is we run a particular kind of a statistical model called a decomposition, uh, which I won't uh, bore you with the details of, but what this model essentially does is tries to understand what parts of the pay gap can be explained by observable factors such as different education levels and things like that, and what part of the pay gap cannot be explained by yes. those observable bits of information. And that's the real clinch. We've got a panel here that'll uh, want some uh, uh, question, ask some questions. The real clincher is why does that part of the gap that can't be explained, why can't it be explained? What's going on there? And why might that be? Well, there's a range of things. And I think the first thing there to mention is that the part of the gap that can't be explained is actually really sizable. Uh, no. So it's, it's more than half the gap for both uh, men and women uh, that cannot be explained. Um, and the reasons why something can't be explained like that is a mixture. There could be that there's some data we don't have uh, that we could include in the model that could help explain things. Uh, although we do put in a lot of information into the model, you know, a range of individual household characteristics, a lot of job-related, what occupation you're in, what industry you're in, if you're a permanent worker, etc. Another reason could be unconscious bias. Um, another reason could be discrimination, and it could be all of the above. Yeah. Uh, Simon? Yeah, well, it's absolutely disgraceful, and the fact that there is uh, control going on for things like education, industry, uh, and, and, and those kind of elements does show that whether it's a conscious or unconscious choice there is a choice going on there at some degree in that number um, to to not pay at the same rates and not have organisations have a focus on trying to achieve that. And I think the, the kind of key finding that you've raised out of this, that we need to measure it and report on it, because that's what, however kind of dreadfully slowly, that that's what has led to the change in gender pay rates, and especially at these big uh, companies. And I saw a thing a few years ago that said, you know, you could solve this overnight if you made every CEO and every board member's remuneration package dependent on meeting a target of bringing pay rates closer for for women in the workforce uh, and then getting to parity. And maybe that needs to be extended uh, to, to especially in this case, Pacifica. But if if it, this is happening for Pacifica workers, it must be present for other uh, other sectors of society. The, the gap is really quite significant, Gail. Thoughts on what Simon says? Yeah, I totally agree. I think if you measure it, you have a much better understanding of where the source is because there's two types of source here. It, it could be, of course, um, differences at a particular level. So when you compare like for like at a certain level within the organisation, you find differences in pay. So we need to understand, you know, uh, is it those kinds of differences or is it differences in terms of uh, Pacifica, just like women, are not necessarily progressing through the hierarchy within the organisation and, 
can't make it through to the upper uh, levels and why is that they are not able to. And there's two very different strategies that organizations need to then pursue depending on what source uh, is happening here, whether it is a like-for-like versus not progressing through the organization. Yeah, Gail, can I ask, this This sounds like very much a work in progress. I mean, how definitive are the figures? Are you comparing, for example, a Pacifica nurse with a European nurse or uh, a Pacifica fruit picker with an Asian fruit picker? Or are you looking at whole organizations and the hierarchy and structures within them and where the high pay lies? Well, we do control for quite a lot of elements that will capture some of that. So occupation level is one of those, for instance. So, you know, whether you're a manager versus a professional versus um, a driver versus a laborer, uh, what industry you're in. And, you know, Pacifica uh, workers are concentrated in particular industries as well. Mm. Uh, What level education you have, whether it's a bachelor's or a postgrad or no school. Uh, So down to even the detail of, you know, what family structure are you in. So if you have dependent children at home, which might influence whether you're able to take on full-time work uh, as much as somebody else with dependent children at home. So, so, so is this more about comparative pay or is it more about getting Pacifica people into positions where they can have a good job? You know, is it more about putting them in the positions that earn that money or is it more about that to, that Pacifica people are getting paid less for doing the same? It's both because the explained part of the pay gap showed that the things behind the explained were things like occupation and industry, which shows that because Pacific workers are concentrated in particular occupations and industries, we can help reduce the pay gap in in terms of that explained part by helping provide greater pathways to higher occupations and uh, better paying industries, etc., and then the not explained part is where you have a range of those other things where there could be differences in like for like. Interesting uh, research, uh, Professor Pacheco. Thank you very much for being uh, with us uh, on the panel. That's uh, new research showing Pacific workers earning up to 24% less than their Pākehā counterparts. And uh, there's an element of that gap which is unexplained and uh, various reasons for that, including perhaps uh, discrimination or unconscious bias. Uh, meanwhile, your EV feedback is continuing to uh, come on through. They're all pretty uni- unanimously positive. I'm still looking for that uh, big negative that you found uh, that you were left hung to dry on a big uh, road trip, perhaps. Uh, you ran out of charge. Um, I picked up a wee second-hand 2013 Mitsubishi MV a couple of years ago for my round-town running and dogmobile. It has a massive range of 80 kilometres. Um, perfect for town. I can park it everywhere. It zips along. I've become a better driver. No taking off at intersections anymore. It saved me an enormous amount of petrol. And now I have daytime solar power. Aren't these all just amazing citizens, uh, uh, Alexia Russell? You see, you could be one of these people. <laughs> my, sister, my sister's <laughs> one of these amazing citizens. I'm sure she won't mind me telling the story. They bought, in lockdown, they bought a, an EV straight off the wharf, went to get it, drove it home, found that it was too big for their garage. So they had to uh, rebuild their garage. And but which meant moving her potting studio out, and so now they can get it in, but they can only open the door if the door to the garage is also <laughs> open. And then they said, "Oh, 
It says you have to plug it in to some special kind of thing, but it'll be all right on the power cord. And they blew the whole electricity <laughs> in all the house. And then they had to pay thousands to get an electrician to put the right kind of voltage through to the garage. So there's, And then they banned their son from driving it because it was such a nice flash new car. And so he was using the other family car and as a result hit the EV. Classic. Did that one Very, come through on the text? Uh, no, no, no. But, but, but I tell you one. I tell you one. It did come through, and it says, "Good news for Alexia. There's a hybrid Camry. That's yours." I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Does it come in manual? And is there a blue one? All right. It's four, <laughs> fourteen to five. Students, students, you can win a two and a half grand scholarship for designing the best T-shirt for a game fishing tournament. Mercury Bay Area School said. No, thanks. Not through our school. Students can take part independently, but this is controversial and won't be led through our school. Mercury Bay Game Fishing Club responded, this is cancel culture. It's gone mad. How much influence should teachers' views have? With us is Thomas Everett, a climate researcher at the University of Waikato and part-time Mercury Bay teacher teaching distance learning in education for Sustainability. With uh, Thomas Kiora, thank you so much Kiora. for being with us. Oh, loud and clear yeah, on Kiora, the Zoom. Thank you very much. Ooh, you're, it's almost you're right here now. Yeah, you've got yeah, you've, you've got a um, uh, t-shirt competition. Design the best. A two and a half grand scholarship toward future education. The school has pulled out. I mean, come on. This is this is cancel culture gone mad. Surely, Thomas. Yes, it could be viewed like this, but. Um, from my perspective as an educator, what is the biggest thing we need to achieve as teachers uh, in this time and age? We need to teach our young people to become much better caretakers of the environment than we have been. If we don't succeed with this goal, then we're um, then we're losing all out as humanity. So to to do this, I think um, it doesn't really um, um, gel too much with uh, promoting a game fishing competition because what happens there, of course, is that uh, fantastic uh, top predators of the ocean, the fantastic marlin, get uh, dragged behind boats for sometimes hours on end. Um, the last competition this year was 70-plus fish uh, that were um, uh, caught that way, and then most of them were tagged and released. Yes, but that's right. Most of them are tagged and released, and, yeah. and, and, and yes. there, are, there are huge swathes of our uh, citizens in Aotearoa who love, absolutely love, big game fishing. Just look at the comments when any story of this yeah. type is posted. As you well know, 92% of them are tagged, they're released. Thomas, what's the problem? Well, the problem is a cultural problem, I think. See, if we, if we treat um, the living world around us in that way, uh, I think we are doing something that is not uh, not reconcilable so much with the idea to be katiakitanga for our planet. And uh, as a teacher, it would have put me into an interesting position to have to promote this competition uh, as part of our school culture and also to have to then um, promote the idea that we need to take care of this planet and take care of the living world around us, the more than human living world. And uh, treating these wonderful fish that way um, doesn't right. really... Uh, so no big game fishing, Alexia? 100% behind Mercury Bay School. I have thought this for years and years and years. I hate these pictures at the Tutukaka Yacht Club, for one, where you've been. Little kids holding up these marlins, please, as punch. They're beautiful animals. Just because they live under the water and we can't see what else is there, we seem to think it's okay. If you're going to catch yep. a fish, eat it. If you're not, exactly. don't torture them. It's horrible. Exactly. Is it torture though? Is it torture? To take yep. them out of a where, an, an atmosphere where they breathe into an atmosphere where they can't They're breathe. They're released. They're released and they live. After they've been hauled onto a boat. <laughs> it's 
Horrible. Uh, my producer said they die, they die often when they're released. Uh, they work in the industry yeah. as well. All right, okay, so you're against it, Simon Pound. Well, 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 good on you as well for standing up like this, because I imagine in Mercury Bay right now, must be pretty frosty at the supermarket. As, uh, you know, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. a place that, you know, loves their big game fishing. And so I guess, you know, your, your role as an educator to, to stand up and, uh, you know, Thomas. Draw, draw these uh, analogies and say, is this like big game hunting? Which is a very good question. It's inflammatory, not quite many, inflammatory as well. well. Not, not many yeah. people are thinking about it. It's a great yeah, role I'm, of, I mean, a, of an can, educator. You, you can, you know, shoot a curator out of a tree and you're the, you know, worst public enemy in the world and yet they're pulling marlin out of yeah. the sea. Well, here's the deal, Thomas. The kids won't be fishing. They're not even fishing. They're designing a T-shirt. What's the big deal? Well, um, it is. I think it's about the endorsement of education for this activity. And uh, I think the principle, I mean, I wasn't part of the decision-making. I just heard about it actually on social media that the decision had been made to cancel the endorsement of the school of this competition. Um, I feel positive about the fact that our school is not officially part of it. The uh, students can still take part in it. And actually, as a matter of fact, the Game Fishing Club, because of the publicity that was raised um, by the activities on social media, etc., uh, now have doubled the price money. So uh, okay. students can now get iPhones. Thomas, to Thomas needless to say, huge response to this. Just look at my text blowing up. Uh, toxic yeah. masculinity equals big game fishing. I understand, Thomas. Am I correct in saying that you lived on a boat? Yes, yes. Did you uh, fish? So I ride sailing in New Zealand and I spend two years on the ocean. Now, of course, I fish for my plate, you know. There you go. I respectfully fish a plate for my food. Yeah, I, I reckon I'm, I'm with this. I think it's a really interesting point to raise. And did I see in the article, uh, it's all been very, you know, squarely put on you, Thomas, like in the articles and the paper and stuff. Yeah. I imagine it's not a, a wonderful moment for you right now. But did I see no, in that I article mean, look, that your, that your I, PhD I, research is about the experience of being a climate activist in New Zealand? And are you getting a lot of material for your PhD at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get some extra material that can sort of sneak into the side of it, perhaps. Yeah, my main mahi is to um, to um, think about how education can play a fundamental role in transforming society towards being able to master this climate emergency. Well, you just take okay. a book to Europe these days and you know what we need to do it. Thomas, I, I, here's, here's, uh, I've got to say to you that um, the side of the text is, is overwhelmingly in your court and obviously in Alexia's court and Simon Pound's court. Thanks for being on the panel. Kia ora. Nice to have you on. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm with Thomas, the teacher, about not buying into big game fishing competitions. It's been taken for granted so long now, and it's time we think more critically about animal welfare. I couldn't agree more fishing. Wow. It's eight to five, the panel, RNZ National. Now, a group set up to tackle Gore's growing, prowling cat problem, and they have been surprised by how many people have reached out to express their issues with feral and stray cats. Cats are New Zealand's most popular pet, but there are close to one and a half million domestic cats and as many, many feral cats across the country. So I thought we'd touch on what the good folk of Gore have on their minds at the moment. And what's on their minds? Cats. District Councillor Glennis Dixon is the chair of the Cat Management Working Party. Glennis, welcome. Thank you. So apparently there are colonies of feral cats living in Gore. What's the issue? Are they overtaking Gore? Um, absolutely not. I think this issue is widespread, actually, throughout New Zealand. Um, there are other councils with the same problems. But we do have um, cat colonies in Gore that are affecting the welfare of our domestic cats as well. I mean, they do carry diseases and there are a lot of community 
people and community, community spirited people who are actually trapping these cats and um, getting them chipped and, um, and neutered, oh. desexed. So um, it just it is a it is a huge problem, I think, for for the whole country. Indeed, indeed, Alexia. You go on Gore Primary School, a t-shirt competition for catching a cat. <laughs> Much <Right>. better. <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah. Um, uh, yes. how, how, what what constitutes a feral cat colony? It's like, you know, it's a big problem facing all of New Zealand. Hit us on the text line. Are you being terrorised by a feral cat colony? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're not um, terrorising anybody, but they just are a nuisance, and they are a nuisance to our to our um, domestic cats as well. The number of cats a person could own should be addressed. Is that an issue? Because I understand uh, one of the issues, uh, this came to a head when one owner had 34 cats in the district. Absolutely. I mean, that that is just ridiculous, really, because Indeed. you can't look after the welfare of that many cats. And that's something that we will be looking at, but it's... Um, what we really want to do is go out to our community and get the ideas from our community about what would work. We don't want to be pushing regulations and rules on people. We just want to maybe educate, maybe a bit of both, but um, we need to deal with, with the issue at hand. Yeah. So, I mean, four councils have introduced mandatory microchipping and desexing of cats, and is the Gore District one of those, going to be one of those? We could be one of those. We just um, we hope that our working group will work through that. If that's necessarily then necessary, then yes, we will. Very nice to have you on the program there. That is uh, Glennis Dixon, chair of the uh, Cat Management uh, Working Party. Gosh, it's such a huge response. I've got to go back to this fishing one. You, ne- um, you never met a marlin that's a nuisance, did yeah, you? Yeah, well, <laughs> Catherine says, Alexia is right, Wallace. Just because lots of New Zealanders love doing something does not make it right. I'd love to turn Wallace off, but need to hear what's being said by the guests, uh, <laughs> says... Did, did she put an emoji on <laughs> and she said she'd love to turn you off? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what's the emotion for that? Uh, Francis says, hours and hours of fighting for their lives for these poor Marlin. Yes, they may be released, but they must be exhausted. How many survived that? Thomas is just brilliant for making a stand. He's, uh, he's really touched on something. It's pretty brave. Like, at first you look at that headline and you go, oh, this is like someone who moves next to the speedway and complains about the noise. But then you read through the article and you go, he says that he's a recreational fisher. and yep, he he's only, a fisher. He only takes what he needs. And he's just, as an educator, going, hey, should we be thinking about this? And is this a good idea? And he's, he's, he's fronting it in a very kind of calm way. Like, I reckon, good on him. Um, I'm totally with Alexia. So against trophy fishing. Repugnant, says someone. I'm with Thomas, the teacher, about not buying into big game fishing opposition. Have you felt like this for a while, Alexia? You're a quite long strong time, on this. Yeah. Really? So when you, won't, you work... won't even go fishing? Oh, no, no but I don't like fishing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've been, I've, been, I've been forced to go fishing by my father as a group family activity, but I don't like the smell of it and I don't like the taste of it. So, but, I mean, regardless of that, even if I did eat fish, you know, just because we can't see what's under the sea doesn't mean that it should be open slather, you know? Mm. And ever since I was working at the Herald in the 80s and we used to do stories about, um, you know, you used to see kids who were as tall as the fish that they mm. pulled up, and it just always churned my stomach. It's been grossly unfair and, 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 and wrong. And you're happy to have you're happy to have lamb. You're happy to go because it's dinner. grown for me to eat. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's tricky, hey. It is tricky. Yeah, you see? You see, it's yeah, very tricky, it isn't is, it? It is tricky. But You're we, choosing we, one animal over well, the we, other. Because we're taking mullet from a wild environment, and we don't really know what is in that environment. Yeah, well, I mean, and you are just, you know, as opposed to recreational fishing and enjoying a fish you eat, you are just kind of screwing around with these marlin for a bit. You go out yeah. in your big boat, uh, torturing catch the them. thing. You're just torturing them for, for a while. Take it for a 50 yeah. metre joyride, pull it out, like go, yeah, get your photo with your big grin and then dump it back in. It's probably not a great day for the marlin. Absolutely fair enough, Simon Pound. Very good. Well, we have Sally Wenley, who is a big game fisher person on the show this very week. We may come back to that topic for now, though. Uh, Alexia Russell, Simon Pound, thank you very much. Thanks for enlightening me on what some of these emojis mean, Alexia. I'm Wallace Chapman. Back tomorrow, 3.45. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint next. Checkpoint.